Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, everybody. Hey, just want to say, can we, uh, this is the benevolence ministry. It is a ministry that a lot of times is behind the scenes. Like, I don't know that every, every day today we're hearing about how's the benevolence ministry doing, but they are doing amazing things. So can we give a round of applause for the benevolence ministry and, and what they do? They're great. And I, I love what Ben said. He's talking about people who, um, at a point, it, it takes, it takes a, a, a special person to be able to step back and say, I need help. Uh, but but that's the best part about being a Christian is, is God calls us to say yes. God calls us to love those people. And that's the most opportune time we have to say, you know what, I've, we'd love for you to come to church. A lot of people who are struggling, they, they, they would love for an invitation to church. And, and there's never a better time to, to get somebody into church than when we say yes and when we serve somebody and we show love to them. That shows that we value them, we value their relationship, and, and we, we, we want what's best for them, which is an eternity with the Lord. And so inviting somebody into in the church, after you've said yes to serving them and loving them and helping them, is the best opportunity we have. But just like Ben told you, we are currently six months into Matthew, and we are in Matthew 5. So we are, we are plugging away. Um, but we are wrapping up Matthew 5. So let's, uh, if you have your brick-and-mortar Bibles or your digital Bibles or however you brought your Bible today, your memorized Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Um, and it's going to be starting in verse 43 all the way through the rest of the chapter. It says, you have, this is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I know that since you heard me say that last portion slower, that's the message for the day. Love your enemies. It's not a message that we're always excited to hear a message about. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward would you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I want to start off just by talking about a personal story uh, that ta- in my life about um, a time where I was kind of harboring some anger in a situation because it, the Bible, it talks about love your enemies. Uh, and I want to give an example of what I did and what somebody who's a follower of Jesus probably should have done. Um, a- about a year ago, I had somebody uh, who was able to get into my bank account uh, th- I- it was some, you know, somebody a long distance away. I had no connection with them, but they got into my bank account and they stole about twenty five hundred dollars. And um, I, I, I saw what happened, and I immediately called the bank, and um, they they transferred me. I'm at PNC Bank, and they transferred me to Phil Swain. He's the head of the bank over there, and praise God for Phil Swain. He's an amazing man. Um, he said, "Why don't you come into the office, and we'll figure out, we'll get some of the details, and figure out what's going on." And so. I met up with him, sat in his office, and we were chatting, and it it became very f- clear to Phil very early. He said, look, Taylor, I've seen this happen before, and it looks like you're probably not going to be able to receive that money back. Like, we're not going to be able to go and grab it out of that guy's account. It's just, I've seen it so many times, I know that's not where this road ends. 
And immediately I was mad and I got even more mad because this man stole $2,500 from me. And Phil, right there, he kind of noticed the emotions I was feeling. And he said, why don't we start out? He said, I know you're a Christian. Why don't we start out by praying for this man? And I'm thinking, like, pray for him? That's the last thing I thought I was going to be doing today. And he, he prayed for him. He said, he said, he just, in the prayer, he said, Lord, we know this man needs money, clearly. We're praying that you do something with this money. God, that you show him justice, but God, you show him love. And in that moment, I realized this, what was going on wasn't worth the emotions that I was putting towards this man. But if I looked at it from, what, from God's angle, God wanted, to, God wanted us to do something in that man's life, just like he wants to do something in my life. And anger is never going to help that man receive the Lord. And Phil showed me that. And then he said, Taylor, we also have a policy at the bank. And that our policy is if something like this happens and it's a transactional issue with PNC Bank, we're going to refund you the money completely. And so it was just a, a, also a sense of relief. So again, praise God for Phil Swain and what he does at PNC Bank. But I believe that each of us have our own story where, one, where we probably responded in a way that we wouldn't call godly uh, in our life. Where we probably, we, something was done to us, an offense was brought to us. And we, we have an enemy now. It's just like this is, but, but instead of loving our enemy, we chose to hate our enemy. We chose to be frustrated at our enemy. I think a lot of us probably have an example in our minds of when that's happened to us. And I believe it happens to all of us. Like Jesus says this in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offense would come to you. Like the Bible makes it clear, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it's going to happen. Offenses will come to every single person. But I think the challenge is how are we going to respond? We can respond a really negative way. And, and Jesus talks about what happens when we do that in Matthew 24. Jesus says, and then many will be offended. They will betray one another and they will hate one another, which is the exact opposite of that text we read in the very beginning where we're called to love one another. If we choose to, to live with that offense, we're going to betray one another and hate one another. Because I believe that you can't control what happens to you but you can control how you respond to it. We can't control what other people are going to do, but we can control how we respond. Or maybe to put that in a better way, your past has been defined by a collection of positive and negative experiences. Your life up to this point is, is based on the experiences that have happened to you up to this point. But your present is being defined by how you choose to respond to that process to process those experiences. And I believe that a lot of times our emotions aren't necessarily at the event. Like I was more mad at the person than I was the fact that I lost the $2,500. I was mad at my anger was towards that man. Like as soon as somebody told me somebody stole money from your account, I was mad at him. I believe that a lot of times when God wants to bless your life, he's going to send a Phil Swain. He's going to send a person in your life. He's going to send a Ben Osborne who's willing to say yes in your life. When God wants to bless you, he'll send a person. But also when the enemy wants to curse you, he will send a person too. Now, I believe that people, relationships, have, have a lot more impact on our lives than we imagine. But we, the enemy can only curse our lives by sending a person if we choose to let the anger that that person brings on us flow out of us. If we, if we choose to say, you know what, yeah, this person did something bad to me, I'm going to repay him with evil. 
That's the only way the enemy can win. If, if, if somebody brings something negative at us and we say, I'm going to love them just like God told me to do, it will change our perspective. And I hope by the end of this message, you'll, you'll recognize that. That the problem isn't that we get offended, it's that we choose to stay offended. And I want to look at two different paths today. The path of choosing bitterness and what that, what that leads to according to the Bible. And the, the path of choosing forgiveness and what that leads to according to the Bible. And so the first one is the path to bitterness. And I've got three points for this. Um, the first one is that the first step of choosing bitterness is that we become resentful and we start to look for revenge. And so it starts in mind. That's why God tells us to take every thought we have captive. Because people, like, like what Jesus said, like it's impossible that offenses won't come to you. But I think what happens is, is we'll let, somebody's gonna, somebody does something to you and we choose to let it fester in our minds. And that just makes us start to, gets the gears start to churn of like, how am I going to get back at this person? Man, this person's, this person's, like, we start to think things that we probably can't say in church about these people. Like that bitterness, we become resentful and we start to look for revenge. And I want to just start, uh, I want to read this passage. In Proverbs 18, it says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. I want to stop real quick and talk a little bit more about what Ben said is that people, if you talk to a lot of people who don't come to church, they'll tell you, I'm not mad at God. I'm mad at the people that follow God. And I'll tell you what, the Bible says that those people, it's harder to win them back than taking a fortified city, a city with guards surrounding it. It's, it's hard, it would be easier to take that than to win back somebody who's, who's in that position, who we as Christians have hurt. Who, who's, when, we, when, we have, when we could have forgiven them, we said, no, we're going to hold it against you. When we could have loved them and we could have said yes to them, we said, no. It's harder to win them back than to take a fortified city. That's what the Bible says. And that's why this message is so important. That If we choose to do what God calls us to do, we have the ability to impact people's lives more so than we, we imagine, more so than we know. Because God wants to do something in those people's lives too. He's not just working in Taylor's life. He's not just working in your life. He's working in everybody's life. And he wants to bring us all closer to him. And when we choose to say no and not show love and not forgive, that takes people so much further away from God. And God wasn't even involved. It was an us and them transaction. But God wants to show them love. But the Bible says an offended friend is harder to win than a fortified city. So we need to choose to forgive We need to choose to love. Romans chapter 12, it says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And I want to share just maybe a comical story for you, but this is a true story. There was a man um, who worked for this insurance company, and he hated this insurance company. They did not treat him very well. They didn't give him the promotions he deserved. They didn't give him the raises that he deserved. They didn't give him the bonuses that he deserved. And at the end of his career, he, had, he was harboring so much anger, and he decided to get revenge on this insurance company. So he retires, and he buys 12 Cuban cigars, $1,000 each. So he spent $12,000 on these Cuban cigars. And he met back up with that insurance company, and he got fire insurance against the, against the Cuban cigars. Uh, and so then he, one by one, lit them with a fire and smoked them. And then he... Uh, went back to the insurance company and he said, hey, 12 small fires caused these Cuban cigars to dissolve. I need, 
and I have fire insurance, I need my money back. And so the insurance company obviously did not pay them back. So he chose to take them to court. And he won the case, saying that 12 small fires caused these uh, Cuban cigars to burn. And since the insurance company didn't describe what counts as a fire, or a reasonable definition of a fire, they had to pay him back. And he chose to get revenge on this company. But that's not where the story ended. Because that insurance company gave him the $12,000, and then they also sued him for 12 counts of arson for burning the property. And he spent 12 months in jail. It's never a good decision to look for revenge. In the end of that passage I just read, it says, Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And I want you to know it's not your job to get even, it's your job to forgive. It's your job to love, and it's your job to let God be God. He does a whole lot better of that, better job of that than I do and anyone else in this room does. He's a whole lot better at that. It goes on and it says, Instead, if your enemies, just like Ben said, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. The second step in our path to bitterness is that we allow unforgiveness to fuel bitterness. And so it's that anger has kind of sat with us for a long time. And now we're starting to, to harbor some bitterness against those people who did us wrong. We're starting to actually let what happened to us change the way we view that person. And maybe some of us can think of, of people in our lives who we probably have bitterness towards. I definitely can. I think a lot of us can. We, we, we all experience bitterness. But the book of Hebrews tells us this. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And I believe that it, bitterness, it starts out as this small little seed. But when we have a little bit of unforgiveness or a little bit of desire for revenge, that starts to turn into poison in our lives. That, that we start to think, oh my gosh, this person did me so wrong. And we think we're, like, we're mad at them, but what, what's really happening is that we are poisoning ourselves. Anne Lamott said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. Being angry and speaking bad about somebody is not doing anything to them. It's doing something to your soul. It's telling you, hey, there's a heart problem in here and I need to address it. Otherwise, it's going to take me down a bad path that I don't want to go. In that, path, that passage I just read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, watch out for poisonous behavior, comma, corrupting many. I want, you, I want you to know that it doesn't just, harboring anger at somebody doesn't just affect you. It affects the people around you. This last week I experienced that. I, was, I got really angry about this basketball referee who made a bad call against me. And I was mad at that moment, and I kind of had like a smarky remark to him even. And then after that, I was supposed to have, lunch, I was supposed to have dinner with this guy who I, I needed to have a spiritual conversation with. I needed to speak Jesus into his life. And I was so angry that I couldn't hardly even talk. Like nothing came out of it. And I want you to know that that happens when, in all of us when we're angry and we're frustrated. It affects our spouse. It affects our kids. It affects our friends. And it affects our family. It doesn't just impact you. 
it makes a difference. It hurts us. I know a lot of us have probably heard this, heard this quote, but it's very true, is that hurt people hurt people. That a lot of times, I know a lot, some of you have probably heard of, of generational sins, that um, out of, from an experience that we've received, we, we tend to give that. Like you say, man, my, my, my father struggled with alcohol, so that means I'm going to struggle with alcohol. And that's a lot of, in a lot of ways true. The Bible talks about generational, generational curses will move down a generation. It will. And I think bitterness and anger are, are very true in that sense as well. And I, I don't want you to get to, the end of, to get to the point where you have a child or to get to the end of your life and say, what, what did I leave my family with? Did I leave my family letting them know I love people? Or did I leave my family with a, with a mark of hate, a mark of frustration, a mark of bitterness towards people, a mark of saying no when somebody needed help? Generational curses will go down a generation. The, the other end is true, that if you say, you know what, this was, this was brought down to me, but it's stopping with me. I'm done with the drinking. I'm done with the hatefulness. I'm done with the bitterness. I'm done not loving. I'm done not forgiving. I'm done worrying about my self-image. I'm done with those generational curses. The Bible says that a generational curse will go down one generation. A generational blessing will follow the family for a thousand generations. You have the ability to impact thousands of your, genera- of your generation. You have the impact to make a real difference in your life and in your family's life by saying, yes, I'm following what God's telling me to do today. I want better for my family. I want better for the, my, my, my future children. I want better for the people that call me spouse, that call me grandpa, that call me great-grandpa. I want better for them. That you, by you saying, yes, I'm following that, I'm, I'm letting go of what I was holding on to, we're letting go of generational curses and we're, we're bringing in generational blessings. Because I believe that you become what you focus on. That if you only focus on the pain that you're feeling, you're going to become somebody who lets out pain. And it might not be like if somebody's showing anger towards you or verbal abuse towards you, you might let that pain out in a different way. It might lead out in a different form of sin such as alcoholism or such as maybe, uh, maybe continued verbal abuse or maybe that sin is, is becoming not believing what God says about you. But I believe that if all we focus on is, is what's been done to us, then it's going to take us in a bad place, that we have to focus on what God's done to us. And we'll get to that point in a little bit. But in Matthew chapter 6, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And here's the hard part to swallow. But it's in the Bible, so it's true. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think some of us are in this room, and we have, with a bitter heart, and we're experiencing things that we just can't let go of. Well, Taylor, you wouldn't believe what that person did to me. I probably, there's probably people in this room who have experienced extreme pain an extreme hurt that's been caused by somebody else. But I wouldn't want you to miss out on an eternity in heaven because you were holding on to anger against one person or against a couple people because God wants better for you. The Bible says if you let that go, I'll let your sins go. That's what Jesus said. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't, your Father won't forgive your sins. And I don't want you to think, 
I don't want you to have a misconstrued view of what that means. I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, I have to just completely let this go and completely forget about, like, I want to talk about a couple things that forgiveness is not, because maybe some of us have a misconstrued view of what forgiveness is. But number one, forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. And one really cool thing, it says this in scripture, it says that God forgives our sins as though he forgot them. It doesn't say that he forgives our sins and he forgot them. It says as though he forgot them, which I think is even more powerful because if God just had literal amnesia and forgot about what he was forgiving me for, it doesn't really mean all that much. But because, because God knows what he did, what I, what I did to him, and he still chooses to forgive me as though he forgot about it, that's so powerful. I want you to know that when you forgive, it doesn't mean you just say, oh, it's no big deal. It's you're fine. It's fine to say, you know what? I know what you did was wrong, but I'm going to choose to forgive. You don't have to minimize the offense. Number two, it's not an instant restoration of trust. You don't have to say, yeah, you did this to me. You, you, ruined, you ruined this area of my life, so, but I forgive you. You're invited right back in. That's not what that means. And that's even part of number three is resuming the relationship without conditions. That's not what it means either. Somebody could have ruined an area of your life and you say, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. But now there's parameters. There's, there's, there's a fence around, around this area of my life that you're not always going to be invited to. But I'm not harboring anger against you. I'm letting God be God. And I'm going to forgive. I'm going to stand and do my job. That's not what forgiveness is. And and the rest of this message, I want to talk about what it looks like to choose the path of forgiveness. And it starts off with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so if we were to choose the path of forgiveness, the first step of that is, number one, remembering what Jesus did for us. There's that famous verse in, Matthew, in Romans 5. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he was getting beaten and verbally abused, and he was choosing to forgive. That as he was being put on the cross, he literally said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we, ch- we still ask God for forgiveness if you're a follower of Jesus in this room today. And God said, yes, I forgive you. But then 100% of Christians still fall short and still choose to sin against God. And he still chooses to forgive if you ask for forgiveness. There's nothing, and here's the, here's the big thing, is there's nothing in this life that somebody could have done to you that's worse than what you've done to God. There's nothing in this life that someone could have done to you that's worse than what we've done to it to the the ever-loving, everlasting, eternal God who loved us and made us and sent his son on the cross to die for us. There's nothing worse that we could have done. It reminds me of this story in scripture. There was this king who had, had, had a lot of riches, but he had this man who owed him a debt. And the man, it was equivalent, I mean, it was billions of dollars. We'll call it $2 billion. This, This regular man obviously doesn't have $2 billion. And the king brings him in and he says, you owe me $2 billion. And this man says, sir, I'm asking, I'm asking for a time of grace so I can go, get, go and try and get you the money. I've got a family. I've got kids. Like, I, I just give me some more time. And that man, that king, chose to not only say, you know what, I'll give you more time. He chose to say, you know what, I'll, for, I'll, I'll forgive your debt. I'll cancel your debt, which is exactly what God does to us. 
That same man was walking down the road and there was a man who owed him $200. The Bible says that, that, um, that the man who was already forgiven, he, he almost strangled this man to death. And he said, you need to give me my money. And that, that beggar said, you know what? Give me just a little bit of time to get you the $200. I'm sure, I can, I'm sure I can get it. And he said no, and he threw him in jail. And the Bible says that in, in, in a very similar way, that's what, God's not going to do that for us. God's willing to cancel our debt, but he's calling us to be people who go and cancel debts. To say, you know what? I forgive you. We shouldn't expect God to forgive us if we're not willing to follow that same pattern of forgiveness. I know I said hurt people hurt people, but I also believe that only people who have really experienced forgiveness can truly forgive. People have said, you know what? I know what it's like to have a debt canceled that, that can't be paid, like, like we as Christians have. And that's, that's why I can really forgive you. And I, I know what that means. I know that means I'm not going to receive what was owed to me. I'm not going to necessarily receive X, Y, Z, but I'm choosing to forgive you and I'm choosing to let God be in control. Colossians chapter 3 says, Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. We have to start off by remembering what Jesus did for us. Number two is we need to release the people who hurt us. Release the people who have hurt you today. And this is going to be the hardest part of the message for some of us. But Matthew chapter 18, it says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And just a real quick backstory to this passage. Jesus is talking again about forgiveness. And um, the 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 traditional law was that you would forgive somebody three times in a, in a day for a sin that they'd committed. And so Peter was kind of, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Jesus though. This is a little bigger. So I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to double it and add one. So God, should I forgive? How many times should I forgive somebody? Seven. And Jesus says, not even seven, but he, he said instead, 70 times, seven times. It's something that you're never like like Jesus said. You're never going to be able to run away from people who do something to you that's going to frustrate you. It's going to happen. But all throughout Jesus's life, he's marked by this man who just constantly forgave. Time after time, if you think of a story in the Bible, you think of the story of the woman at the the, the woman caught in adultery. He said, "Who are where are the people who who have a charge against you?" She's like, "There's none." He said, "I don't charge you either." He forgave her. You think, I, I already mentioned some of them about him on the cross. Father, forgive them. You think about the Lord's prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray. Forgive us as we forgive others. That's literally what the prayer is. As, as you forgive us, we're forgiving others. And we need to be praying for that. We need to be praying for forgiveness. The, uh, the pastor who's got the largest church in the world, he's in China. His name's Pastor Cho. Millions of people come in person to see him every week. And he, uh, he gave this, this message uh, in America to pastors who, uh, who just, people who are pastors, people in ministry. And he, he, was, he didn't give us tips about how to um, write a better message. He didn't give us tips about how to prepare a sermon. He didn't give us any practical tips. But in the message, one of the things he talked about was just practical life advice because that's what's going to make you a better minister, that we're all called to be ministers. It's not about having the right words to say to somebody. It's not about having, having your gospel presentation or your testimony perfectly written out. That's not what it's about. 
He, one of the things he said as it relates to forgiveness, he said, every day I wake up and I forgive so many people because I hate so many people. I think that's, it's so true. Like God's not, God's not saying you have to have complete love in your life for all these people, but you have to forgive them. And the cool thing is, is that he says he, he woke up and he chose to, he starts off every day by forgiving people and asking for forgiveness. I think that's exactly how we should start off really our, our, our time with, with Jesus, our time with God when we pray. You think about, imagine if somebody who uh, kind of did you wrong and very recently and, and didn't really um, do anything to, to ask for forgiveness or didn't really apologize, but they, they come back to you and they, they ask you for a favor. In your heart, like you might out verbally be like, yeah, I'll help you. But in your heart, you're probably like, why is this person talking to me? But had that person started off by saying, you know what, I am, I'm really sorry for what I did. And you say, no, it's, it's okay, I forgive you. And then they ask for a favor. It's a, different, it's a different heart feeling. It's a different conversation. And I think that that's how we should start our time in prayer with God is to say, you know what, God, I have sinned against you today. I've sinned against you this week. And I, I, I want to start off by asking for forgiveness and saying I'm sorry. But God, I'm also I'm holding anger against this person and I, I need to forgive them. I need to let it go. I need to stop drinking the toxic poison that I'm drinking, and I need to let you be in charge. I'm not going to do something I'm not called to do. We have to do it every day when we wake up. Not seven times, 70 times, seven times. There's another passage in Scripture that talks about, about the, the, the composure Jesus had when he was getting beaten and when he was getting put on the nailed to a cross and when he was getting verbally mocked. And it, talks, it just talks about, did, did Jesus in those moments, ever hurl insults back at people? Did Jesus ever curse somebody? In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Literally, while Jesus was being mocked, here's the king of the Jews, there he is, while he was having glass shards stabbed into his back, while his hands and feet were being nailed, he still didn't retaliate. That takes a very special person to probably be able to do that. I know I would not be able to do that, but that's what Jesus did, and we're always called to be more like him. That even in the worst possible moment, he chose to love, and he chose to let God be in control. I talked a little bit about what forgiveness is not, but I want to talk about two things that forgiveness is. And Number one, forgiveness is bringing their balance back to zero. And that's you just saying, look, I'm not trying to get even. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a one up on you. You don't owe me anything. I'm not going to hold this against you. I think that one of the worst things we as Christians can do is, is hold anger against one another. Because if, if we're trying to follow the Matthew 28 example to go and make disciples of all nations, we're never going to do that if, we ha- if we're not on the same level if we're fighting one another. That's why churches separate. You think of all the church separate. When you hear a church separated, you think, oh, there probably was a theological issue on whether they should do this baptism or that baptism. And that causes people to leave a church and never go back. When we choose to harbor anger or, or, or say, my way is better than your way, or hold something against somebody, we're never going to do what God called us to do to reach the lost. We have to start off by, 
by putting each other's balance to zero. And number two, forgiveness is giving up the right to hate them for what they did forever. To say, I'm not angry at you. I, I, and it's gonna, that's not the easiest thing to do. Sometimes you've got to forgive them a thousand times. I don't know if some of you guys have seen the movie The Shack, but if you, I would recommend that for you if, if this is a topic you're interested in learning about. This man had one of the worst things ever done to him, done to his family. And he had to choose to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. He said it hundreds of times. And finally, that bitterness went away. Sometimes it's going to take more than one time to say, I forgive you. But say it. Ask God to help you say it. Just to say, I'm going to give it to God. I'm not going to hold on to it. I want to just take the, the words of Queen Elsa of Arendelle today and just say, let it go. Let it go. Matthew chapter 5, the passage that we're actually in, in in our passage of Matthew, it says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you're looking, if you're looking for some depth today, if you're, if you came to church hoping to find this super deep theological gym that you can hold on to and say, you know what, I, I, I got, I got what I needed today. You're not going to find it. If you're looking for spiritual depth today, I want to give you some homework. Ask the Holy Spirit this week for names of people who are just maybe tweaking your heart a little bit, that when that person's name comes to your mind, you just grimace a little bit. And this week, every day, start your day by praying for that person or those people to say, Lord, bless that person's life today. Help that person prosper today. God, help that person's family know you more. Help them know you more today. God, give them financial victory today. Give their, give their land prosperity today, whatever it is. Just ask for, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Some of you are going to look at that list and you're going to say words that you can't say in church. And some of you won't do it. But I promise you, as you do it, it starts to bring peace in your life. Some of us, like I mentioned earlier, are marked by anger. And we don't know how to fix it. We're just an angry person. Or we've got anger deeper in our heart. And, and for me, a lot of the times, we, I had this conversation with my community group a, a couple months ago. Was I think that a lot of times I do a really good job of at, at, at face value saying, you know what, it's no big deal, I forgive you. But I never process what happened to me. And I just let it grow and I let it grow until it festers out into me yelling at a referee at a church league basketball game. But we've got to deal with what's going on in our life. Otherwise, we're just drinking poison. We've got to deal with it. We've got to manage it. We've got to love others. Luke chapter 6 says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If you're looking for spiritual depth today, it doesn't come from learning something. It comes from doing something today. It comes, for, it comes from praying for those who persecute us. And step number three, the path to forgiveness. 
We start off by looking at God, looking at Jesus, his model. And then number two, we actually do what Jesus did. Now number three is we refocus our God's plan for you. We refocus on God's plan. Again, because if, if I look at, 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 at this situation from Taylor's lens, Taylor's lens says, this man wronged you. He needs to get even with you. He needs to apologize to you. He needs to whatever to make it right. But if we, if we stop looking at Taylor's lens or, or fill in your name's lens and we choose to look at it from God's perspective and God says, this man is struggling with an addiction, is Taylor's response going to be what's best for this person? Or is a different response, maybe a heavenly father's response who has an unmeasurable amount of love for this person's response, what we need to choose to do today? We need to stop focusing on Taylor's version of what to do or your version of what to do. And we need to start looking at it through God's lens. There's a story in the Bible in Genesis. And this is where I'm going to close. It's the story of Joseph. And if you don't know the story, I'll give you a little backdrop. He had several brothers. He had a lot of brothers. And they all loved their father, including Joseph. They all loved their father. But their father loved Joseph a little bit more. Says that he had a little extra love. So he kind of gave him a lot of gifts and not as much as, as the other kids. And the Bible says that his brothers got jealous. And so they came up with a plan to get rid of him. And they couldn't bring themselves to actually killing him. So what they did was they threw him in this pit. They go back and they tell their dad, he's gone. He died. You know, he he was eaten by wolves. They made up a story. And then it goes on and it says that they ended up even going further and selling him into slavery in Egypt. And then it goes on. The story goes on to say that as a slave, he kind of actually worked his way up the ranks. And he was working directly with the king of Egypt. And then the king's name was Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tells a lie about Joseph. And Potiphar, had, the king, has him thrown in a well. So I, even though the slavery, I mean, the slavery thing happened, but he's kind of working his way up. And then he gets thrown in a well. And so then he's in this well. And this man, he, he has the ability to interpret people's dreams and tell them what they mean. And he, he tells this other person in the well this dream that he's going to interpret. And he says, when you get out of the well, remember me. Remember that I told you this dream that you need to interpret. So the guy gets out of the well, and he forgets about Joseph. And this whole time, Joseph's, mar- Joseph's, li- Joseph's life is marked by betrayal. Reasons that he did not need to forgive people. He helped, and he helped, and he helped, and he got betrayed, betrayed, and betrayed. And then one day he becomes the second in charge of Egypt. He becomes second in charge, second in control, only below Potiphar. But he really has say of what's going on in the world. And in the the rest of the world, there's a famine. So people, everybody has to start coming to Egypt because Egypt has all the money, has all the resources. So people have to go and beg Joseph for help and one day his brothers show up and they need help and Joseph could have he could have chosen to do what all of us probably would have done is murder them and Egypt wouldn't have batted an eye it would have been, okay these random people were killed wouldn't have batted an eye but Joseph 
instead says this. In Genesis chapter 50, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. You intended to harm me. You took what the enemy meant for evil, but God turned it for good. God can turn any situation into a, into a restoration story. He can take betrayal, betrayal, and betrayal into a restoration story. That family was reunited. The father came, and he got to see Joseph again, and they got to cry together and hug together and love each other again because he chose to forgive. There's never a better choice than to forgive. If he would have chosen to end the lives of all his brothers, it would not have, his life would have been marked, his, the direction of his life would have been a very different one. But he chose to forgive and he chose to love. And that's what God chooses, calls for us to do today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray that it's impossible that, that offenses won't come to us. But God, I just pray that we can focus on what Jesus did for us, what Jesus modeled for us, that we should always forgive a human's job is to forgive and God's job is to judge. And when we choose to do God's job, it never works out for us. So God, I pray that we stay in our lane and we choose to love and we choose to serve and we choose to invite people to know you better. And God, I pray that as we, as we sing this next song, God, we're praying for blessing over our own lives, over our families' lives, but God, that we're also praying for blessing over the lives of those who we would call our enemies. Because God, those are not our enemies. Satan is our enemy. Satan wants nothing more than to kill and destroy our lives. And God, I pray that we see each other as brothers and sisters who need grace today. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.